Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Um, getting up the storm, it'd be good to get somebody there, wouldn't it? Uh, maybe put the maybe put the heat on for us. Um, uh, well, oh dear, don't start. Whatever we do, um, we have been on this journey, as you know, following Jesus in all of life, which has been an interesting journey around discipleship, what it means to be a, a true disciple. Um, and I've been looking at the uh, adventure of prayer, talking to you a good wee bit about intercession and how to intercede and who can intercede and how we should go about that and just the importance of it as well. And so to keep on um, prayer, what we're going to do is talk about healing this week. And then next week, um, we're going to talk about building a hedge, how you actually build a hedge around your home, around your family. Um, that's not planting a privet now. That's uh, building a hedge of protection um, how we actually do that, how do you actually pray for your street and for your neighbors, and how do you pray for your work colleagues and, and your roommates and stuff like that. What I want to talk to you about this morning is I want to talk to you about the difference um, between two things, all right? The difference between, you all right there? You all okay? Hmm. Between two things, between talk and touch. All right? That's what I'm going to talk to you about. The difference between talk and touch. Okay? Um, and that's really important because there's a massive difference between talk and between touch. All right? Sometimes we're good at talking. And um, if you haven't picked up any of the intercession, um, talks, and you should do that on podcasts, but we're going to talk about healing this morning. We're going to talk about the power of prayer in impossible situations, or the power of prayer, if you're listening from somewhere else, all right? Not the power of prayer. Um, okay, so sickness is the great interrupter of life. We all know that. It's, uh, it enters without knocking. It thwarts all our plans. It mocks the idea of certainty, and it in some way, it diminishes hope for the future. It intrudes like a burglar, like a thief in the night into our home, touching every part of our lives. And such a story happened in the life of Jesus in Mark chapter 5 um, that we're going to read this morning from 24 to 34, 10 verses. If you want to look it up in your own Bible, that would be great. So, um, uh, Mark chapter 5, verses 24 to 34, I have it in the NIV, it'll be on the screens in the NIV version. Um, I read the ESV mostly, all right, but I find it a little clunky for the screens. So NIV is probably one of the best ones for reading in public gatherings. Here it goes. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. This is Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, had spent all that she had, and yet indeed, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. What a powerful statement. 
At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you as disciples answered, and yet you asked, who touched me? Um, but I need to go on a little bit here. Um, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And when the woman, knowing that it happened her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. Interesting that she came again, all right? She came the second time quite voluntarily, even though Jesus turned to see who it was. She could have drifted out into the crowd and not came. But um, she told him the whole truth. That's an interesting little statement, isn't it? I wonder how long that took. I wonder, was it... Did, he tell, did she tell him the whole story from beginning to end, the whole 12 years, what had happened? And Jesus listened. I'm sure it wasn't just a, a, a he told, she told him the whole truth. So he listens to her story intently. And then he says this to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Interesting that he calls her daughter. I imagine, doesn't tell us, but I imagine she's a good bit older than him, probably old enough to be his mom. And yet he calls her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Interesting story, isn't it? Interesting story. It takes place on a little narrow, twisted city street packed with a crowd. It's the only miracle in all of the Bible that actually happened without Jesus speaking a word or doing an action. There's no other story that actually this happened oblivious almost to Jesus, happened behind his back, happened without him actually having to, he wasn't proactive in this miracle at all, at least as it would seem in the physical realm. All right? So here we are in this busy little street packed with crowds of excited people. It's a bit like Christmas market. It's a bit like shopping center at Christmas where people are moving past stores with noise and confusion. And, but the crowd's not there to purchase gifts. They're there because there's a person there called Jesus um, this man who walks like a king, the, the commoners speak of him with deep affection. The beggars whisper his name. I imagine maybe the kids have made up little songs with his name in it. He has become known to the sick and diseased. His fame has leaked down into the streets of forgotten men and women. It is Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus is on his way to heal or to to speak to the dying daughter of a man called Jarius. And Jarius is a city official, and he has come to sort of lay hold of Jesus to come and heal his daughter. So Jesus is on the way. A crowd is with him, and the crowd, opinions are flying. Some are saying, will he do it? Can he do it? Some say, I doubt he'll do it. And all of this, these opinions are flying about, and it's into that sort of, that, that, that sort of environment that this woman, um, this this walk of Jesus is interrupted by a very sick woman. And uh, her face is marred with agony, I imagine. Her body is racked with pain. We're not told who she was. Um, she's actually just referred to as the woman with the issue of blood. If you're reading the authorized version, the, the NIV does put it a little bit more politely, calls her a woman with the issue of bleeding, I think it's called. Or um, well, It'll come on it in a minute or two because I want to make comment to it. But um, here, here, here she is, and she's typical of countless cases of, of people who suffer sickness that we're going to talk about this morning, pain and suffering. Twelve years is a long time, and all she wanted was relief. All she wanted was restoration. All she wanted was life and health. 
wasn't a big thing she wanted. She, she wanted to be healed. Her sickness had a profound effect on her, and she lost a lot because of it. I began to think about this this week, and I began to think of, we prayed for healing here on Wednesday night in the prayer gathering, and it sort of started to make me think about things that people lost whenever they're sick. And I made a little list of them. I have six of them here. I'm sure there's many more that are common feelings that happen to people when they get sick. They lose control. There's a loss of control. There's something happens that, that the, the body, rather than obeying you, has its own agenda, and it behaves whatever way it pleases. A bit like a car in black ice. I don't know if you've ever hit black ice or, or skidded out of control in the snow, and you hit the brake, you turn the wheel, you do whatever, but it doesn't matter. The car has a mind and will of its own, and you've just got to hang on and wait for the crash. Well, this was the embarrassing situation and condition of this woman. She would bleed constantly. She couldn't go into public environments. This was a problem. Her body was out of control. Not only was there loss of control, but there was a loss of identity in it for her. Sick people become defined sometimes by their illness. And it's interesting that this lady in this story is on name, simply a woman who, there, who had been subject to bleeding, the NIV puts it. And the same is true today. We speak of certain people sometimes, and instead of naming them, we name them by their condition. Sick people lose their identity in sickness, all right? And then there's the loss of certainty. I thought about this one with chronic illness. Everything becomes dependent upon the condition. Holidays are contingent to the condition, to the body. You will work if sickness allows. Even getting up in the morning um, is stipulated by sickness, and what was once predictable is now provisional. And then there, the loss of place in society. Sometimes this can happen if it's long-term. When you're sick, losses go beyond the body. Sickness puts strain on relationships and jobs and hobbies and families, all of these things. And the sick person sometimes feel they fit better in a hospital room or in a doctor's surgery than they do in, in, in their normal environment. And then there's loss of resources. Um, the woman in this story had spent all. She was financially bankrupt. She was emotionally bankrupt. She was physically bankrupt. This reminds us of fortunes of time, energy, and, and, and money can be squandered in, a, in an effort to bring healing. And then probably the most severe of all, I think, is this one, where there's a loss of hope. Perhaps, as I say, the most chilling in this lady's life was she tried absolutely everything. And instead of getting better, she grew where she was beyond help and hope. Um, interesting, isn't it? At her wit's end, last resort, and she's coming against hope that she could get healed, and she's desperate enough to try anything. Sickness makes us do some strange things at times, doesn't it? Pain can make us desperate, sometimes not even um, happy with conventional treatment. We look at alternative treatments endorsed by traditional medicines, and some alternatives prove valid, and some probably just flirt with quackery, I suppose, if that's a word. Um, but at least there's something to do and try. And this woman was desperate. She was willing to, to do anything to bring about healing in her body. And she'd heard about Jesus. She'd heard about this man who was the healer. And strangely, something awakens in her breast. There's a, 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 a sort of a resolution gradually building in her heart. And she said, I must find him. I must go to him. I, I know he can heal me. She says, and so she, she 
angles her way through this crowd, this woman who was out of place, and she angles her way like a little whip puppy edging towards a bone, I imagine. She wishes to steal a blessing and remain anonymous. She wants to touch and go. She wants to, 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 to do this, and, 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 and she thinks, if I can just touch his garment and depart, that would do it. If I could just touch his clothes, she says in verse 28, I know I'd be healed. Can you imagine the nervous reasoning going on behind of this? Touch him. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, could I touch his head? No, no, that would be irreverent. I need to touch him. Could I touch his hand? No, oh, no, no, that would be too familiar. I know what I'll do. I'll just touch his clothes. Just as he, as he walks past, I, 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 that would be enough if I just touch his clothes. If I could just touch his clothes, she says. What a, what a powerful word, if is, small word, huge meaning. And we need to consider the magnitude of it at this moment. That's the issue. This woman believes in Jesus' power. She knows in her heart that Jesus can pull off a healing, or at least she's desperate enough to give it a try. And she squeezes through the crowd, and she reaches out to touch his garment, and she slinks back into the crowd. Some of us know some of us, I think, know enough in our heads to listen, but not enough in our hearts to follow. Can I say that again? Some of us, I think, know enough in our heads to listen, but not enough in our hearts to follow. We, we need to know the difference between talk and touch. There's a difference between talk and touch. We'll see this in a moment or two. Um, this woman, daring, cowardly move as it was, one moment displays both faith and fear at the same time, while others bump into Jesus. She reaches out and she touches him with intention. And, and, and when we're so desperate or so dead that we know we have nothing left to lose, we risk anything, we'd be brave enough to try anything. No one noticed her. That was no one but Jesus noticed her. And he turns around to see who touched him. And of course, the disciples are sort of thinking this is quite funny, but something has left his body. He knew somebody just didn't bump into him. He knew it just wasn't a casual touch. He knew it was a, a touch with intention. And so this morning, what I'm going to encourage you to do at the end is to come and touch with intention, to touch with an intention, knowing that something can happen. He looks for her, but he, she doesn't wait to be found. She makes her way through, and she presents herself to Jesus once again, and he makes this incredible statement, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. It's an incredible moment. Jesus calls her daughter. She'd been a daughter of death. Now she's a daughter of life. And in an instant, her body regains control. In an instant, she's granted a new identity. In an instant, she's regained her future. In an instant, she's regained her place in society. In an instant, she's restored to wholeness. In an instant, she discovers, uh, rediscovers hope, all because of a touch. All because of a touch. I love this. In an instant, Jesus heals her sickness, eases her suffering, grants her freedom, and saves her soul. What a, this is the record, by the way. These are the facts, and that is the miracle. It's all in here. All right, I'm not making this up. Jesus heals this woman with the bleeding problem. That's what the miracle was. And, and, and again, I say, it's the only recorded miracle where not a word or an action took place of Jesus in the healing. Notice he didn't meet, she didn't meet him in church. 
She didn't set up a private audience or a private appointment. The Lord, she just touched him in a crowd, and she touched him in faith, in desperate, believing faith, and he stopped. And you don't want to mess that. He stopped. The Lord of glory, the King of heaven, stopped because a woman touched him with intention. The King of glory, the Lord of heaven, stopped because this woman touched him with intention, and she touched him, and so can we. No other miracle is that the human touch has the power to arrest a holy God. And most of us are thronging Him, just like a crowd, but we never actually get to touch Him. And there's a difference between talking and touching. Uh, I, I think a great many people throng, and Dave brought this to us so clearly a number of months ago about this idea about in the last day when we say, well, we cast out demons, we can say, well, we did it. We, we throng together. We come, we. And Jesus said, well, I'm not really interested in what we done. What about you? I don't know you. And so often we can talk about the we. Well, and we can throng in the church and we can come and we can talk about it, but never actually get the touch. I, uh, you, you know, this thronging saves nobody. Touching saves everybody. Thronging saves nobody. Whenever I was a boy, me and Kenny, when we could sneak away from Dad without him getting us to do anything, we used to jump drains. That was a joy of growing up in the country. And we used to jump drains down in the bog, down in the moss. And Kenny, we were talking about this in the break. He was saying how man, he loved those days. But the problem was Kenny's legs are a lot longer than mine. And I was in the drain much more often than he was. And you see, when you miss, when you miss the other side, you miss. Like if you run for the train and you miss it by a minute, you could say, well, boy, I nearly got it, but you missed it. You didn't nearly get it, you missed it. Thronging saves nobody. Touching saves everybody. And so often we throng. Sorry to, to bring this back home. And I, I know in, in this prayer session, I've talked about my own circumstances a lot. And I'm going to do that this morning again. I, I apologize up front for that. But it, it's important just to bring this to show you the story. You, you know that um, my wife Jill died, and it'll be 13 years actually in Saturday coming. And she died suddenly. She died of adult death syndrome. So no illness. There was no pre-warning to this. She just, one moment she was alive, the next moment she was dead. And that's basically how raw it happened. And so we were left in this wave of grief and loss and, and brokenness and confusion and fear. And, and nobody told me that fear and grief were cousins to, to or, or fear and anxiety were cousins to grief. Nobody had told me that. It was the waking up and the, the catching your breath and not being able to, and for, for about six weeks, just shy of six weeks, I, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, the weight fell off, the... I couldn't get to sleep, and I felt like I was, I felt like I was, I was mentally, I thought I was just losing the plot, and it felt like things were going really bad, and, and the only way to describe this is, I'm going to ask, Warwick, would you come, would you help me, and, and Patty, would you come and help me, sorry to do this, somebody was keeping me going in the break, Philly McGrath told me in the break that nobody's going to sit in the first six rows anymore, <laughs> um, one of I don't intend to do this every week, just so don't, but, and I won't do anything embarrassing, all right? But what, what, I, what I want to do is, James, if you come over here, all right, you stand here, and if you just stand sideways like that on Warwick there, like that. And I thought about this. This, this came to me during the worship in the first, so I didn't prepare this, by the way, so it was just a wee thought. Um, 
what, what actually happened? James is going to be grief for me. Now, it could be anything. It could be sickness for you. It could be addiction. It could be bitterness. It could be unforgiveness. For me, it was grief. All right, James is going to be grief. And Warwick's going to be Jesus. Sorry about that, Patty, but... Uh, um, <laughs> So everybody, I did this. He <laughs> was mercy last week. That's right, he was. Uh, so it has to be a body this week. Um, so um, I did this. Mark Emerson was griefing the first time, and everybody called him grief all through the break, all through the ten toes. So, uh, so sorry about this. But it, for, for me, it was, it was grief. For you, it could be anything. What happened when this, when this happened, I felt like here I was trapped in this moment. I believed in God. I believed in God from when I was a boy. So God was everything to me. I, 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 everything from, and I remember saying, God, if everything I've learned about you and everything I've read about you is right, then I'll get through this. I'll manage this, all right. But, but God, you're going to have to help me. You're going to have to help me. And why would you do it anyway? Why would you allow this to happen in the first place? And it was this angst and anger came out. I was cross at God. I was confused. And, and I, would, I would say awful things to God. Awful things. I would say, God, my, my dad, my dad's Alzheimer's. He's bedridden for years. And, 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 and we prayed that you'd take him home, but you left him and, and took somebody who was healthy and well. God, why would you? This, this, this was the kind of conversations were coming. There were, it was just all this angst coming up. And, uh, and, uh, this went on for quite a while, for about five weeks, just over five weeks, and no sleep. And so I was just napping, just like an hour here, an hour there, and, and it wasn't, uh, I felt my mental health was just deteriorating. I don't, and on the 2nd of, of May, just a couple of days shy of six weeks from it happened, my brother Alan said to me, Phil, I'm going to take you to the doctor, son, because this is gonna, you're going to go over the edge. And so he took me to the, my local doctor, who had been my doctor for 30 years, and, and I sat at the other side of his room, and I was broken. I couldn't talk to him through the tears, and, and um, he's a, the doctor was a believer, and I told him all that I believed about God, and I just felt like God was distant at the minute, and I just couldn't find him and couldn't figure out why I would ever let this happen. And this is what he said to me. The doctor said to me, well, Phil, he says, it looks like, to me, it's like acute depression. And he said, what happens with acute depression, because of the, the, the way the grief happened, it's like it's throwing you into acute depression that, he says, leads to chronic depression that leads to manic depression. He says, that's not a good road. And he says, so what we need to do is we need to treat this quickly. So he said, I'm going to put you on a really strong antidepressant. And he said, I'm going to, we're going to put you in this for five, six months and see how it goes to try and get you stabilized. And I, I went, okay, and he wrote out the prescription, and, and he reached me the prescription. As he reached me the prescription, he said this. I'll never forget it. He said, now, these are really strong, and he says, it'll probably take about two weeks for they kick in, and he said, in the process, they'll make you worse. So he says, to get you up, you need to go down. And I remember thinking, it almost took my breath away. I remember thinking, there's no down from here. It can't go down from here. If it goes down anymore from here, I'll be dead. This thing will kill me. And, and all the dark thoughts were coming in. I didn't want to live, all of that. You, 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 those of you who've been there will know what I'm talking about. And, and so it just felt like the depths of despair. And I, 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 I walked up the street, went into the chemist. I got the pills. I popped one out of the packet. I popped one. There was only one I ever took. I'm not opposed to taking them at all, but I'll tell you why what happened for me. If you're on medication, stay on it, all right? Don't do anything without talking to your doctor. 
Um, I'm not opposed to, to those at all. Um, but what happened for me was I, that night I, I was at home and I was home alone and um, I'd moved everything up into my bedroom. I couldn't sit in the living room. I just couldn't abide being in the living room. And so I'd lived in a, I was sort of living in the, in the bedroom. I had my desk and my chair and everything up in the bedroom. And, and uh, I was sitting on the floor beside my bed. And the reason I was sitting on the floor was I'd read a verse. So when David wasn't allowed to build a temple, it says that he sat before the Lord. And I'm one of those literal people bit wacky, a little bit maybe sometimes, but when I read something, I take it literally and I think, maybe that's what God wants me to do. And so I just placed myself on the floor and I would just sit on the floor often before God. And that night, it was about a quarter to midnight, and I'd, I'd said to the doctor, doctor, all I need is just get me to sleep. Just try and get me to sleep. If I could get a night's sleep. So I remember sitting on the floor that night, and here I was sitting with my legs crossed, and I had this box of tablets on the floor, my book and Bible and my journal were here. And uh, I, I just moaned to God. I was talking to God. You see, I wasn't actually touching him at the minute. I was just talking to God. And I said, God. So this is it, God. Thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks a bunch for this. You know, you've, this, this is what I've, you've left me with. You've, you've, you've thrown me into this grief and loss. And sit, you know, I'm sitting here with a box of antidepressant tablets. Thanks a bunch. And... Um, and I fell asleep on the floor, not in the bed, on the floor beside the bed. And I fell asleep. And I slept for about three, four hours, and I woke up stiff and awkward on the floor. And when I woke up, it was about a quarter to five in the morning, and I lifted my journal, and I had a little book called Streams in the Desert. If you've been through grief here, and I know about it, you've probably got one. I buy them in bulk. Um, and Streams in the Desert, it was the 3rd of May, this is, this is what I read. The, the verse is Joel 2, 32. And it shall come to pass that whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. And then here's what Spurgeon writes. He writes, why do I not call on his name? Why do I run to this neighbor and to that when he is so near to hear my faintest call? Why do I sit down and try to devise schemes and invent plans? Why not at once rule myself and my burden upon the Lord? Straightforward is the best way to run. Why do I not run to the living God and vain look everywhere else, he says. And then he goes on at the bottom. He says, my case is urgent, and I do not see how I am to be delivered, but this is no business of mine. He who makes the promise will find a means of keeping it. It is mine to obey his commands. It is not mine to direct his counsel. I am his servant, not his solicitor. I call upon him, and he will deliver. Now, this next moment changed my life forever, right? I learned a little principle. I didn't know I learned it then. It was only in years past, that, in looking back, that I realized what happened. In a moment of time, I realized that I was talking to God all about my grief, and I was blaming grief all the time. Grief had robbed me. It had stolen me. It was a monster, like sickness, like addiction, like bitterness, like unforgiveness, whatever it is in you. It was a monster. And I cried out to God, and it seemed like God never intervened. It seemed like God never intervened. And then I realized, there's somebody in the way here. <laughs> Somebody's in the way of God actually intervening. And what happened was I, I, I moved God like this here into a position between me I, I, this is the only way I can describe it. You hope it makes sense. And I began to realize, I, I wrote down some things here. I began to realize this. I began to realize that I had a God who was touched with the feelings of my infirmities. 
I had a God who, who, who bore my griefs, Isaiah 53, 4 says, and carried my sorrow. And so what I did was I began to look at my grief, as it were, through God. I, I, now, it didn't go away. It was still there. It was still very present. I would get him to claim onto Warwick's back, but don't worry, I'm not going to do that. Because he, he carried my griefs. He bore my sorrows. And I began to look at them through God. I began to see them through him. And then what happened was, instead of talking to God all the time, I began to lean on him. I began to think, God, I can't do this on my own. God, I, I've been talking and moaning, and God, all I need is you to carry me. I just need you to carry me through this. I knew Warwick would do this. That's why I picked him. And uh, I'm actually quite liking this at the moment. And, uh, uh, but you, you see what I'm saying? Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. You see what I'm saying? Uh, it's the difference. It's, it's the difference between a talk and a touch. It's the difference between talk and touch. You see, when you, when you begin to see see your very griefs, you see your sickness through Him, you begin to see this as something He is steering you through, that He is in absolute, complete control. God is not out of control. And when you begin to realize this, my notes are upside down, you begin to realize something very powerful is happening. Now, really quickly, really quickly, three or four little points. Claire's going to come and get set up, all right? If you, we're going to finish, because I want to pray for people, all right? Here, here's what I'm saying to you this morning. Would you give God a chance? Would you give him a chance? Would you this morning say, God, I've been talking to you about this for years. I've been trying to get over this addiction. I've been trying to get through this, God. I've been trying, but I've realized that I just actually was standing in the middle of you in it all the time. And maybe there just needs to be a shift that we begin to see. Take your problem. Talk to him about it, just as if he didn't know a thing about it. That's the way you need to talk to God, you see. You need to talk to God not like He knows everything. You need to talk to God like He knows nothing. Nothing. All right? That's Lurgan. Nothing. Okay? You give God a chance. You need to believe that He will hear you. You need to believe. If He halted for a woman in Mark chapter 5, He'll halt for you. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If He halted for her, He'll halt for you. You just got to know how to touch him. You got to know how to dare to do it. Wait patiently in the Lord. It mightn't be today. It mightn't be Sunday. It might be Friday. But here's the thing. God, when, when, when a person waits in God, there's no time lost. When God comes, he comes in his right time. Wait patiently in the Lord. Reach out and touch him. Reach out and touch him. Oh, man. So many of us just throng in the church and we get around people and, and all of this goes on and all of this. And it's lovely and church is lovely and I love it with all my heart. Many people just bump into Jesus, but few actually reach out and touch him with an intention. And if you've just been coming into church hoping you'll bump into some kind of anointing or bump into some kind of answer to your prayer, I'm telling you right now, it will never happen. It'll only happen when you move with an intention towards him. And when he speaks, I don't care what he tells you to do, do it. When he speaks. Now, it mightn't be an audible word, all right? Not, the sky probably won't light up, but through his written word, through your own conscience, through the counsel of friends, he will indicate a course of action. I'll guarantee it. I will guarantee it. Dave Tugill, as you know, 
a few weeks ago. And we're going to pray for Dave now because I'll tell you why. Because he took the counsel of friends. He'd be working his, his, his heart out here if we allowed him. But he took the counsel of his friends that love him. He said, no, Dave, don't do that. And, and, and it's interesting when the dynamics of that begin to work. I finished with this story. Two friends went to a gallery. And, and they went into a gallery, both love art and stuff. And they start looking around the paintings in the gallery. And they're walking up and down, looking at the paintings. And all of a sudden, this guy, one of the, one of the guys is, a, is an ardent chess player. And there's a, there's a, there's a picture of a, of a game of chess big painting of a game of chess. And the, the game of chess is well on its way. And this guy's enthralled. He's played chess all his life. And he's enthralled by the game of chess. And he's looking. And he's like, wow. And he begins to study the chessboard. And his friend, after a few minutes, gets a little bit weary. And he says, come on. Come on, John. Come on. There's loads of paintings here. He says, no, no, you, no, 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 you go on. I want to study this. And so his friend goes on and he looks all around the gallery. And he looks around. 10, 15 minutes, he comes back. And John's still... John's still looking at the painting, still enthralled by this game of chess. And his friend goes up and says, John, you're missing all the paintings. There's so many paintings. He said, no, no, go, go, give me, a, I want to study. This is brilliant. Give me another few minutes. Off he goes again, goes to another little counter around the gallery. John's staring at the picture like this here. And eventually his friend comes back. He's a bit frustrated now because he feels a bit isolated. He's like me. He wants his friend to be with him everywhere. And, um, and he, he, says, he says, look, it's near time for the gallery to close, and you're standing looking at one picture the whole time. And as John says, it's wrong. It's wrong. The picture's wrong. Because in the bottom of the, 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 the painting is called Checkmate. It's the writing at the bottom, Checkmate. John says, the painting's wrong. He goes, what do you mean the painting's wrong? How can a painting be wrong? We're in a gallery. How can it be wrong? He says, no, it's wrong. He says, it's called checkmate. And he says, it's not checkmate because he says, the king still has one more move. I want to tell you here this morning, this is, this is what I've come to tell you this morning. The king still has one more move, Dave. King still has one more move. The king still has one more move with MS. With we Zachariah, the king still has one more move to repair and restructure that heart. He's still got one more move. The king has still got one more move over your diabetes this morning. The king has still got one more move over your mental health this morning. The king has still got one more move over your addiction this morning. The king still has one more move over your eyesight this morning. The king still has one more move. And so what we're going to do is we're going to allow him to move. And we're going to do what this woman done. We're going to reach out and touch. We're not going to talk about this anymore because the more we talk about it, the more we just get confused, all right? Because there's a difference between a talk and a touch. And so what we're encouraging you to do this morning, as we begin to worship, I'd love you to make your way up into the front and I'd love you to reach out and touch. Now, our time's rightly gone, so we're going to do this quickly, all right? But there's, I know there's loads of you in this room this morning and don't be, don't be going home with it. Don't be going home and thinking, well, nothing happened to me because you'll just have thronged and not touched. And there's no good going home with a good, gushy, bumpy feeling because you thought the worship was good and the word was maybe just okay. 
let's not just throng this morning. Let's not just talk. Let's get up here and let's touch. Let's touch. And I can tell you and I can guarantee you your touch will arrest heaven. And I said this on Wednesday night. When, when heaven gets activated, hell gets activated. Always remember. <laughs> when, the, when, 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 when God starts to move, the devil hits it. And what happens is God begins to move. As we begin to touch God, hell gets activated. And it feels like the answer to your prayer is further away than actually it was when you started. That's just hell. But hey, you've got the back of the book just like me. We win. Hell is defeated. He said it not. And so the king has one more move. So let's do that this this afternoon. I keep saying this morning, but let's do that this afternoon. All right, we're going to worship. As we worship, I'd love you to make your way to the front. I've asked our prayer ministry team to to just filter around and to lay hands on because I'm going to pray a prayer over you all at the end. I'm I'm going to recognize your touch this morning. I'm going to recognize that touch of healing in your body, of, of, of delivery, of addiction, whatever it is this morning. So let's do that as we worship together. Let's make your way up into the front here. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk